renowned criminal defense attorney, Neil Rockheim. What's up, everybody? This is Neil Rockind, your host of Killer Cross-Examination. And today I'm going to bring it again. Last week, as many of you know, those who tuned in and made our episode last week one of the most listened to and watched episodes in the Killer Cross-Examination podcast history. Now, I brought it and broke down a terrible cross-examination. I mean a cross-examination that was so bad that it was bad for the ages. And we actually brought it. I held nothing back. I reserved nothing. I laid it all on the line and broke down uh, question by question, paragraph by paragraph, about how poor the examination was and how it did the exact opposite, other than attempt to break down the credibility of the expert. What it actually did was reinforce the expert. It was like having a second prosecutor in the courtroom. And that got me thinking all week, all week, I had been dying to get back in here and to share with you something that has been on my mind about prosecutors. I was a prosecutor. Jerry Spence, the famed Wyoming lawyer, famed Wyoming trial lawyer, once actually said to me during a, a conversation we had where I said to him I was a prosecutor, he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, son, I, I shall absolve you of your sin. I was a prosecutor for three and a half years back in the day. And I laugh about that story because I know some, I, I, I know so many stories back from when I was a prosecutor. But I don't want to go back into the old prosecutors. I want to go back and talk about the days when I was a prosecutor. I want to talk about something that has been on my mind all week. You can ask any of the lawyers in my office. You can ask any of the clerks in my office. You can ask anybody that I've come into contact with and discuss this one case with all week. And I want to bring it and talk about it. And that is the conflict that we have in our system with not prosecutors who are who are work for the county or work for the state, but prosecutors that are city attorneys that are hired by that work for local law firms, and that these work for these local law firms are hired by local cities and local municipalities. And I want to talk about that because this entire the last couple of weeks, but this last week in particular, there has been this you know when you get like that thing that's stuck like in your teeth and you can't get it out and it's on your mind and all you want to do is, it doesn't matter who you're talking to or what you're doing or what opportunity comes up, all you can think about is how to get rid of that thing in your tooth and you're just thinking about how to move your face and your tongue and you want any kind of toothpick or any kind of dental floss, anything at all. It's, you can't get rid of it. Even if you try to really focus on something else, it's sitting there and you can't stop thinking about it. I've been thinking about this podcast, this subject all week. Prosecutors have a special obligation. They have a special responsibility in the practice of law. They don't just, they're not just lawyers. They have a special responsibility because they have so much power. They have the power when they review a case to charge the case. They have the power to deny charges in the case. They have the power to plea bargain. They have the power to not plea bargain. They have the power to increase charges, to decrease charges. They have the power to make recommendations. They have so much power. In some ways, the prosecutor has even more power than the judge. And for many people that are unfamiliar with the legal system, that blows their mind. It's like mind-blowing. They think that a judge can just step in and 
cut the case off or, or stop the prosecution of a bad case or stop a, a, a prosecution in which there's no evidence or very little evidence. And they don't even realize, unfortunately, that the prosecutor really is the one that is in control of that, all that. For the most part, judges can't just come in and stop a bad case or a bad prosecution. They're, they're left with the prosecutor has special discretion. They have the power to bring the charge or not bring the charge. They have the power to decide who to charge and who not. There can be 10 people that are all accused or all potentially guilty of the same thing. And the prosecutor could choose just to prosecute two of them just because they want to prosecute the two and don't want to prosecute the other. Did you know that the prosecutors have that much power in our system? They don't have to come in and give a reason. As long as it's not discriminatory, as long as they're not violating the Equal Protection Clause or discriminating based upon race, ethnicity, gender, religion, sexual orientation, one of the protected classes, as long as they're not doing that for that reason, prosecutors have this incredible power. They are the most powerful people in the legal system. They can choose whether to charge a felony or a misdemeanor, whether to charge a serious misdemeanor or not, whether to plea bargain or not. If you're someone that you committed a, a single mistake in your life and you're worried about that legal mistake defining you, your lawyer goes to the prosecutor and says, look, this guy has lived this exemplary life. He's a licensed individual. He's going to lose his license or lose his business or lose his kids. Please look at the totality of his life. Give him a favorable plea bargain. Not because he didn't commit the offense, but because this offense shouldn't define him. The prosecutor could literally look at you and say, no, and I choose not to give you an explanation why. They have that much power. They have the power to decide what evidence defendants and defense lawyers see. And the Supreme Court has said, for example, that defendants and defense lawyers have the right to what's called exculpatory evidence or evidence that, is, that tends to, to favor the accused or that may touch upon the credibility of one of the witnesses, which means that there's, that there's a ton of, of, particularly for lawyers like me who, who love cross-examination and think that any bit of information can be utilized for cross-examination to challenge the credibility of a witness, the prosecutors literally can decide what we get and what we don't get as evidence. They could say that I don't have any sculptory evidence, but that is, depends upon their view, their interpretation. Prosecutors have that much responsibility. They have so much power and such responsibility in the legal system that the, the American Bar Association, and maybe more importantly in Michigan, the, the, um, um, the Supreme Court has established an entire separate rule of ethics, an entire separate rule of professional responsibility obligations for a prosecutor. Think about that. Lawyers all have the same obligations, but prosecutors are so important that they have a second elevated level of responsibility. They have to refrain from prosecuting a charge that the prosecutor knows is not supported by probable cause. They're going to make efforts to make sure that the accused has been advised of the right to obtain counsel. They can't take advantage of someone who's unrepresented. They have to disclose to the defense all evidence or information known to the prosecutor that tends to negate the guilt of the accused 
or mitigates the degree of the offense. Think about how much evidence, what that may actually involve. That can involve almost everything. They have to prevent law enforcement personnel and employees, investigators, and themselves from making statements extrajudicially in the news that could could prohibit or impair the ability of the accused to, to get a fair trial. And when they know of new credible material evidence creating a reasonable likelihood that someone who was already convicted is innocent, they can't just sit back on their heels. They have to actually promptly disclose it, and they have to bring it to the attention of the court and the accused And when they know of clear and convincing evidence establishing that a defendant in the prosecutor's jurisdiction is innocent, they have to seek remedy. So even if they later on think, man, I really won that case and it was really hard, and they later learn that the defendant is innocent or that there's clear and convincing evidence that the defendant is innocent, the prosecutor has an obligation to seek to remedy the conviction. Think about that power. They have such power that the courts have said that prosecutors have have the responsibility of a minister of justice and not simply that of an advocate. Think about that. So when you see like Law and Order, one of those TV shows, you know the bump bump when the prosecutor comes in there and you got the the police officers are the ones who enforce the law and the prosecutors are the way. You've seen that, right? Probably didn't get the quote right, but that's what it is, basically, with that sound. ba bum bum ba bum bum whatever it is on Law & Order. bum 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 You think about that. The prosecutors have such a duty that they can't just go into court and do whatever they have to do to win. They can't just go into court and attempt to pull out all the stops and just to be a, a an advocate and to win at all costs. They can't win at all costs because a prosecutor has the responsibility of being a minister of justice. That means that they have a higher burden. They can't just look at the case and say, you know what, I want to win so badly, I'm going to do anything that I can to win. That happens. And sometimes the legal system is able to flush out those cases and reveal that people were innocent, people are found not guilty, people have their cases dismissed, some are convicted and had their cases reversed on appeal, some are exonerated later because prosecutors hid evidence because they were such a they're so zealously pursuing, so zealously pursuing and trying to get their arms around the, the neck of the accused, if you would that they lost sight of the fact that they have a higher responsibility. I'm not saying all prosecutors, because there are plenty of good ones out there. But that's, that is how important the, the dual role of a prosecutor is. That they can't just be an advocate. They have to actually be a minister of justice. That is not what defense lawyers, that is not said nor is it an obligation of defense lawyers. It is the opposite. Defense lawyers have one single obligation. Their obligation is to zealously defend their client. The prosecution has a dual obligation. They can advocate on behalf of the the entity they represent, but they have to also be a minister of justice. And there is a a conflict that I have noticed that has been gnawing at me for the last week. Much longer, if you will, but in the last week it's really been gnawing at me. And that is that there are essentially two groups of prosecutors. There are prosecutors who work for like a county prosecutor's office. They represent the state. They prosecute state law. 
I'm not talking about them today. That was the role that I fulfilled. I'm not talking about them. There's another group of prosecutors. We call them city or municipal attorneys. And there are some very, very, very good and responsible city and municipal attorneys. But these city and municipal attorneys, they actually end up, they, are, they work for a private law firm. And that private law firm is a law firm that is billing its hours and is attempting to, to make money um, by representing municipalities. And the municipal attorneys or the city attorneys uh, who work for that firm are billing hours or they have a contract. And they, they get a contract from that city or municipality. And they prosecute violations for that city or municipality um, that are violations or alleged violations of a local ordinance. And local ordinances can look a lot like the state law. So drunk driving, for example, would be a violation of state law. There's also a local ordinance that, that prohibits drunk driving. Um, there could be a, an assault charge that is a violation of state law, but there can also be a, the same statute or the same language in an ordinance in a local city or municipality. And the city attorneys end up prosecuting alleged violations of local ordinances. Seems okay, right? Well, here's the thing. They answer to the police department. They answer to those that hired them, the city council or the city commission. And every few years, those contracts that are relatively lucrative, they are up for bid and for rebidding. So if it's a $200,000 contract or a $100,000 contract or a $300,000 contract, and I don't, I'm not privy to how much the contract is worth, but whatever it's worth, these firms bid, these large law firms, they bid for the city attorney job. They want a city or a city commission or a city council or a police department to hire them to, to, to prosecute their, their ordinance violations. And this in here is the conflict that has been gnawing at me. Some city attorneys are really good at it. And they understand that even though they're privately hired, even though they, they technically, quote unquote, work for the city or work for the city commission or the police department, then even though they could lose their, their job or lose their contract if they don't please the police department or please the, their local city commission, they still fulfill their ethical obligation. They still fulfill their role. They still recognize that even though their police department or their, their, their city commission wants a case to be handled a certain way or wants a certain type of case to be handled a certain way, they still understand these very good, ethical, responsible city attorneys that, they're, that they can't just please their, their, the person that hired them. They have to be a minister of justice. But boy, there are times and there are cases and there are some city attorneys that seem just super wed to the whims and wants of, their, of the municipalities, of the police department, the city commission, the city council members who hired them. And they're afraid of losing their contract or of offending their, 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 the, the, the people that hired them, the police department or the city council. They're afraid of it. 
They're afraid that if they make the wrong decision in the case or go too far in offering a plea, even if it's appropriate or dismissing, dismissing the case, even if it's warranted, they fear losing the contract. And therein lies the conflict that has been gnawing at me for some time. Like that little kernel that's been stuck in my teeth. Because you know what? I don't want to hear when I'm representing somebody. Lawyers don't want to hear when we are representing someone who has turned to us and has said that in his or her time of need, they want us to help them avoid having a legal mistake, a legal error in judgment, define and ruin their lives. We don't want to hear, well, I can't do it because my, my bosses are looking or, or the police department won't let me. It's not the job of the police department. It's not the job of the city council. It's not the job of the city commissioner. It's not anybody's job other than yours when you take on the role of prosecutor to make a decision on how a case should be settled, handled, prosecuted, or not. And I'm sick and tired of hearing city attorneys or municipal attorneys say to me, I can't do it because the police won't let me. And I, like I said, I want to be very, very, very clear. There are some city attorneys and some municipal attorneys who are very good at going back to their such a credible, long, such a powerful relationship with their municipalities and their city commissioners and their police departments that they can actually go back and say, hey, I got to drop this case or it's, not, it's wrong for me to pursue this case. And they aren't worried about it. But there are some that aren't, and I'm tired of hearing from some prosecutors who say to me, I can't, I can't do this for you, even though I agree it is the right thing. I can't do this for you. I can't do this for your client. Because the people who hired me don't want it. Guess what? The people that hired you aren't bound by the special rules and responsibilities of a prosecutor. Guess what? They're not ministers of justice. You are. And as a minister of justice, it is even though you are a municipal attorney or a city attorney, and even though you work privately for a law firm, and even though that law firm enters into a private contract to prosecute ordinance violations on behalf of a city or municipality, you're still bound by the same rules, the same ethical rules and responsibilities. And it's time that those, and they are, they are all over the, the state, not going to pinpoint any particular one. Those that, who hear my podcast and think that this may apply to them, then maybe it does. But this conflict, this potential conflict, has got to stop. You either take on the role and responsibility of being a prosecutor, and that means the heightened role of being a minister of justice, or you don't. Look, I've tried a lot of cases, I've gone to court in a lot of cases, and I've contested a lot of cases, and I'll go to court, and I will put myself out there, and I will go after any charge, any case, any witness, any time. 
I've said to some prosecutors before, hey, you want to try this case on a day's notice? Let's do it. But it, when it's mano y mano and we're in court and we're battling it out, hey, may the best man or woman win. Got no problem with that. Because once we're in court, and if that's how that everything has happened fairly up to that point, that's the way the system is supposed to work. The city chooses its lawyer, in that case, its prosecutor, and the defendant or the accused chooses his or her lawyer. And if it happens to me, I'm going to come out swinging hard as I can. And I'm going to throw some haymakers and I'm going to duck and dodge and I'm going to debob and weave and I'm going to hit you with the jab. And I'm going to look for a knockout punch and if I get one, I'm going to take it. Because that's, and if I get hit or knocked out in court, then so be it. Good for you. Take out the Rockweather, God bless you. up to the point of trial where we're actually duking it out and we're all on relatively even footing and we start at the same starting line. Before that, during the pretrial process, the, the litigation process of the case where you have the power to do justice, do it. Don't sit back and tell me that you can't do something even though it's right. Because your boss or your bosses are looking or they don't want it. And if they don't want it, it can't be done. Because if it can't be done and you do it, then you could lose the contract or offend the powers that be. That shit don't fly here. That's bullshit. That is an abdication of your responsibility as a city attorney. That is your abdication of your responsibility as a prosecutor. Now look, sometimes when I say these things, people have a tendency to think, oh, I'm just painting with the broad brush. I'm not. I know what the responsibilities of prosecutors are. I, like I said, I was a prosecutor for three and a half years. I prosecuted in one of the toughest prosecutor's offices in the country. We prosecuted cases all over the place. We went to trial on cases and we took our our punches and we took our hits and we gave them back. But I know what the responsibilities of prosecutors are. And ever since I left the prosecutor's office, I've looked and I've called out in different cases where prosecutors have, in my opinion, violated their rules of, of responsibility. Want to know why? Because I know where we're not on even footing. I know that in the pretrial part of the case, in the, in the, in the litigation part of the case, it doesn't necessarily come, they have more power than we do. They have the power to bring the charge or to reduce the charge or to, to get a witness. Let me give you an example. You darn well know that if there's a witness that a prosecutor wants to get into court and that person happens to be on a cruise ship and they need the witness in two days, you darn well know that they can actually get that witness there. They have the power. They have the police power. They have the police department backing them up. They can literally find a way. We are buying you a ticket. You, sir, have been subpoenaed. We need you. Get your ass back here. They will find a way to get that person back from wherever they are and back, all on government expense. 
They have the ability to send police officers out to a witness's house. They have the ability to run background checks, not background checks through through um, uh, private investigators or doing what we do, which is to have our staff actually go online and attempt to dig and find and pull up information online about different potential witnesses. They literally have the ability to run criminal records because they can have the police department do it. That's how much power they have. If they serve a subpoena and someone doesn't show up, they can go to the court and get a, a warrant. A material witness warrant, a bench warrant to have that person arrested. They can get a search warrant. Outside of the legal process, everything I do as a, as a lawyer, I have to file a motion in court before a judge, and i got to give the other side notice. Guess what? They can have a police officer go get a search warrant separately, not even as part of the case. And that police officer can go execute that search warrant and get records. Well, I have to beg, borrow, and plead and ask the judge to order the person to deliver the records to court. They can get a search warrant for them. You want to talk about an imbalance of power. That's why I'm having this podcast today, because in that pretrial phase, things aren't equal. Whether they work for the state or the attorney general's office, or they work for a, a, they are a municipal attorney working for a private law firm, they have the power during the pretrial phase. And all we want as lawyers is for people to be fair and decent and to fulfill their ethical obligations as a lawyer. And if the case happens to go to trial, well, guess what? We'll all just put on our robes and we'll put on our tape and we'll wrap and we'll put on our gloves and a little tighten them up. And when the bell rings, we'll each come out throwing. Because once we're in the ring, once we're in court and we're litigating, then the power, the power disparity sort of dissipates. Then it comes down to who's got the skills, the ability, the tenacity, the internal fortitude. Who has the ability, who has the facts, who's creative. Who can think this stuff through? Who's got a plan and how to put it all together? Even then, prosecutors have more of a, they still have more power than we do. But guess what? That gets balanced out a bit. Because now we're talking about mano a mano, the gladiator part of being a lawyer. But in that early phase, all along, Things aren't equal. And it's time that even those city attorneys or municipal attorneys that wear two hats, that wear the hat of privately hired lawyer on behalf of a city or municipality, but also are a prosecutor, the only hat that they can honor in that role, in that situation, is the role of being a prosecutor. That's it. And if you lose the gig of, or you can't explain to the police department or your bosses why you, or the, the city commission or the commissioners, why you are doing what you're doing and dismissing a case or making a decision to plea bargain or making a decision to, to, to offer the defendant a, a plea because it's, it's worthwhile and it's, and it's what justice requires then you'll lose the contract. At least you can sleep easy knowing that you did the right thing. So, 
Is it one particular case that's caused me to want to have this conversation today? No. Is it a particular city attorney that I have in my mind or municipal attorney? That, no. In fact, I have cases right now with several city and municipal attorneys that I think are extremely ethical who have in private conversations shared with me their thoughts about cases and I believe them. And until they, they, they do the opposite, I will choose to trust cautiously, but I will choose to trust that they are the people that I have grown over the years to know them to be. But there are others that are too much and too often not doing what is just and right and for being a minister of justice and are too much being the privately hired lawyer of a municipality and attempting to please that boss or that master, if you will. And that has got to stop. This is Neil Rockind. We've been talking about prosecutors, city and municipal attorneys, and the dual responsibilities that all prosecutors have, whether they are city or municipal attorneys, whether they work for a, uh, 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 the state or the government, or whether they work for a private law firm, and how the time has come for city attorneys everywhere to fulfill their role as minister of justice without regard to whether or not doing that will cause them to offend or upset their bosses and potentially sacrifice or compromise a lucrative legal contract. Killer, 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 cross-examination. A podcast by your host, the nationally renowned criminal defense attorney, Neil Rockheim. Yeah.